Hey, welcome to Access. John here. You know, a lot of times we Christians can make it seem sinful if you're having fun. That's not what Jesus taught. In fact, Scripture can tell us how we can have the most fun and be fulfilled. Except, it's not the way we typically seek fulfillment. We're not going to have the most fun by seeking our own glory. Today, we're going to continue our study on John by looking at John chapter 8, verses 48 through 59. So grab a Bible because this message is entitled, Glory Hound. Do you know any glory hounds? A glory hound is a, is a type of person that really seeks a way to brag on themselves all the time, uh, to, to, to bring recognition for all of their accomplishments uh, to themselves and, and really just to exalt themselves. People who put themselves up on a pedestal in front of everybody. Now, you can usually tell a glory hound when you see one or at least when you hear one because generally there's some statements that they make. You know, other people have trouble with this, uh, but I don't. You know, I've never struggled with that or, or you know, did, hey, did I tell you about the time that I did this and it was so great and I'm such a good person and I'm, I'm really, really all about me and what I want. I had an opportunity to go to a Chamber of Commerce uh, training in Austin, Texas one time. And, um, you know, I I was just absolutely shocked at what, I, what I'd hear some of these people say. And it was just so absolutely worldly. What they were saying is, is that, you know, uh, this guy said he basically went around and he bragged on the chamber all the time. You know, look at all the stuff that we do. And he ended up closing his statement by saying, you know, if you don't brag on yourself... Nobody will. And so, you know, that, that means you got to go out and tell everybody about all your accomplishments. And I'm just like, that is just disgusting. I, I mean, I don't want to be that kind of person. I don't want to be the kind of person that's always bragging on myself. And, be, and it's mostly because I don't like it when other people do it around me. You know, like, like I don't want to be around you. For some reason, that is just so disgusting. And, and I think the reason it's disgusting is because glory spoils that even if we get glory for ourselves, it's like sand. It just slips through our fingers. For example, um, maybe, you, maybe you know this, that uh, there is such a thing called post-Olympics depression. That um, Olympic, the people who compete in the Olympics suffer depression after the games. And it's not just people who get you know second and third place or don't even place or come in dead last. Gold medal winners, people who win the gold medals in the Olympics suffer with uh, post-Olympic depression. And, and what it, the reason why, and it makes sense, you spend years training for this and, and just, you know, your life is all about this and it's consumed. And, and you know, that, 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 that one or two events or maybe 10 events that you do, some people do more uh, in, in the Olympics, that, that you compete and, and your life is all about the competition. And when the competition is over... There, you know, you ask yourself, well, what now? What now? I've got Wheaties commercials, and you know, I've got to be on Oprah. But after that, what? Now, now what? What do I do now? Do I compete for the next games? And some people do, but but you know, a lot of people suffer with depression because you know they've achieved greatness. Um, you know, I've actually heard it said that people who climb Mount Everest that they're walked through. You know, this this um, discussion about how you know you will suffer from depression because when you climb the tallest mountain in the world. What do you do next? And it really just it shows that you know the, the glory spoils that you know you might you might run around the track and have your your nation's flag around your neck and you got that gold medal and you wave it up in the air and you say yes I did it, but that only lasts so long. 
Matter of fact, you're going to start feeling the effects of that probably the next day. Now, just give you some perspective. In 2017, I was the ping pong champion at our church, and I don't know if you know that, but I have a medal to prove it. And and it'd be like me bringing that that medal and and wearing it to church all the time and saying, "Hey, look, you know, I don't know if you guys know this, but I am the 2017 ping pong champion." And uh, people say, "Well, big deal. You only play like what three people?" I'm like, "Well, they were really tough, and I had to beat them." Well, you know, the point is. That, that that glory, it spoils. I can't hold on to that without it becoming disgusting and really gross. Now, let's ignore the fact that somebody took that medal away from me um, in 2018. A guy named Hugh, he just beat the snot out of me. And, you know, it doesn't matter. I still win the 2017 championship, and I still have that medal, and I can still wear it. But I don't because it's disgusting. Glory spoils that you don't get to hang on to it. And so nobody, nobody likes a glory hound. Somebody that's out there for their own recognition and their own glory. Which is especially important when we go into this passage of scripture we're about to study. Because uh, a group of people accused Jesus of all people of being a glory hound. I want to read John chapter 8 verses 48 through 59. I don't want to talk about this. It says, The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I'm not a demon possessed by a demon, Jesus said, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. I tell you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And at this, the Jews exclaimed, Now we know that you're demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. And if I said I did not, I'd be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Yet you are not 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you now and just ask that you just speak to us through your word and that you would teach us something incredible about yourself. Um, and Father, help us to see how we can glorify you and how, Father, that will fulfill us. We love you in all of these things we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, as we start this passage of Scripture, there are some things that I kind of want to touch on before really getting into the glory hound moment. Um, the Jews accused Jesus, I don't know if you saw that in verse 48, they accused him of being demon-possessed, which is one thing, but another thing they said is that you're a Samaritan. Isn't it true that you're a Samaritan? A demon-possessed Samaritan, I think, would probably be the worst words that they could reserve for somebody. Now, you probably know this, but the Jews hated the Samaritans. And the reason why is because in Ezra, you know, that they are commanded by God not to have anything to do with the Samaritans because they're not children of promise. Um, They're not God's people. A Samaritan was somebody who couldn't prove their lineage, somebody who couldn't prove. They might be a full-blood Jew. But they couldn't prove their identity through well, my father's father was this guy and his father's father was that guy. And because of that, they, they couldn't show that they were Jewish people. And so these people come to Jesus and say, isn't it true you're a Samaritan and that you're demon-possessed? 
This is probably the worst insult that they could they could uh, reserve for somebody. Now we we noticed Jesus that that you seem to be a little soft in the Samaritans. You know, not only have you spent time. I heard about the incident with the woman at the well and all the Samaritans that came to you looking for the Messiah. Uh, you know, I even heard that you told some parables in favor of Samaritans. Isn't it true, Jesus, that that's because you're a Samaritan? Isn't that true because because you you really have Samaritan roots? And if you're a Samaritan, we don't have, have, have to have anything else to do with you because you are disgusting. And then they even accuse him of being demon-possessed. Now, there's a way. There's got to be a way that not only you can do these miracles. You know, our prophets could do miracles, but you're able to read our thoughts somehow. You're able to discern what it is we're thinking in our heart of hearts. And that just doesn't, that doesn't set right. You must be getting help from somewhere. And since you're not, you're not of God, we've all determined you're not of God then you must be demon-possessed. Notice Jesus doesn't even address the first part, like, I'm a Samaritan. That's ridiculous. But you want to say I'm demon-possessed? I'm not demon-possessed. He says, I glorify my Father. I honor my Father, and you dishonor me, which brings up an interesting point, and that is is that we cannot claim to, ha- to love God and have a relationship with him if we're constantly uh, you know, looking to destroy people. I mean, I think that was certainly true the case for Jesus that we have to acknowledge Jesus is, is the Son of God. We have to acknowledge him as Lord, uh, or we don't have anything to do with the Father. I mean, that's what Jesus talked about in all John chapter 8. However, also we, we can apply this and know that, that the way that we treat other people is the way that we treat God. If we're looking to destroy another person, we cannot say that we are of God. It just doesn't work that way. That, that if we have a relationship with God and we seek to honor him, he's going to show us how to love each other. Love one another. Jesus said this is how people you know you're my disciples and how you hate one another. No, and how you love one another. That we're not looking to destroy someone. So Jesus says this is a perfect indicator of how you don't know God. You say that you know God, yet you want to destroy me? I don't think so. He says, now look what he says in verse 50, because this is where we're really getting into the thick of it. He says, I'm not seeking to glorify myself. I'm not looking for glory, my own glory. Now that is important because they really were accusing Jesus of being a glory hound. Oh, you want to be, you want us to praise you? Which if you look at some of the things that Jesus said, you know, I am the living water. Anyone who comes to me will never thirst again. You know, come to me. I am the bread of life. You must fill up on me. It sounds like Jesus is kind of a glory hound. Like he just wants everybody to know how great he is. But Jesus says, look, guys, I'm not looking to glorify myself. I know you're accusing me of being a glory hound, but look what I'm doing. I'm trying to point you towards God. I'm trying to point you to the Father. Because you need to know that there is only life in the Father. And the Father has seemed to glorify me. I'm not trying to glorify myself. I'm trying to glorify God. Now, one of the things he says in verse 50, he says, I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Now, that right there, if you really spend time thinking about it, it might cause you to ask the question, does God just seek to glorify himself? And if so, isn't that really, really selfish? I mean, doesn't that say that God is a narcissist, megalomaniac? I mean, like, what kind of God is all about himself. I mean, we're not supposed to be all about ourselves, so why is it okay for God? It's almost disgusting. Like, God's a glory hound. Like, he's trying to get glory for himself. Isn't that a little strange? 
that we are supposed to be unselfish, but God gets to be all about himself? Well, if you start asking those questions, you start investigating what Scripture has to say about it, what you'll see is, number one, that God is all about himself. That God is all about bringing glory to himself. In fact, all of creation has a doxological purpose, and that is to bring God glory. God does these things to bring glory to himself. He does not pull any punches in Scripture. That's what he says. He is all about his glory. And that we are created to glorify him. So yes, the first part of that is that yes, God is all about his glory. But the second part of that, the reason why it's not selfish... It's because God created all of us to bring glory to himself, and that is the only way we will truly be fulfilled. If we go out and try to seek our own glory, remember, it's like sand. It slips through our fingers and that we have to always do better. You know, like uh, One Hit Wonders, they go out there and they make this great music, this great song. Everybody's like, man, that's an awesome song. Man, we love that song. What do they say next? What are you going to do next? Right? You made this awesome song, what are you going to do next? And the people, the one-hit wonders anyway, they can't live up to that kind of pressure. Like, well, we just got really lucky on that song. But, you know, you know, we're glad you like it. Can't, can't that be enough? No, we want another song. Or we're going to label you a one-hit wonder. God seeks glory for himself. And when we seek our own glory, we might get it temporarily, but that glory spoils. However, when we honor God we experience a different scenario. There is a term that you need to be familiar with. It's Christian hedonism, not heathenism, hedonism. And what's important about Christian hedonism is it says the only way that we are going to be truly fulfilled is when we are glorifying God. In fact, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Now you think about that for just a second. What that's essentially saying is, is that the only way to truly be happy, the only way to truly have joy, the only way to live a life of fulfillment is not by seeking our own glory, but God created the world that we could glorify him. That's the only way we can truly have joy and happiness, which aren't two things that seem to go together when you start talking about that in church, like joy is, is happiness in all situations, but like even happiness, pursuing happiness, seems like this, this thing that's wrong in the church, like we're not allowed to be happy. But God wants us not only to be happy, God wants us to be happiest. Like having joy and pursuing our desires and our passions and the things that bring us pleasure, that God is all about those things. The problem is, is that we tend to look in for happiness and pleasure in the wrong places. The things that won't bring us pleasure, at least not pleasure that lasts, that we should be pleasured in God. The things that we are happy about are all about bringing God glory. Now think about it this way. If I say, for example, my wife and I, we just had her 10-year anniversary, and we went out and spent the night together, and I you say, God, you know, Aaron, I, I really, I really, really, really just want to spend time with you. What's going to make me the most happy is if I get to spend the night with you. So I've got us a hotel room, and that's what I want to do. Now, I've I, I spent some money, and we're going we're gonna to do all these things. Now, Aaron wouldn't look at me and say, you know what? That's just so incredibly selfish of you. 
No, she is civil. She's happy that I want to spend time with her, that I take pleasure in her, that I want to spend time with her and be with her and be intimate. That's what God is wanting with us, that he wants us to have an intimate relationship with him and then we are fulfilled in him. That, that, that That's not selfish of God. God wants to spend time with us. And that's not selfish. God wants us to have that kind of relationship with him where we glorify and honor him. And only when we do that will we truly be fulfilled. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He says, I don't seek glory for myself, but there's one who seeks it, and he's the judge. And you want to call that a glory hymn? It's because you don't know how a relationship with God really works. And you've never truly experienced that. He's telling these people, you don't even know him. You know, you say you're, you're Jews and you're God's people, but you don't even know God. God wants to be fulfilled in us. And we will be fulfilled when we're most glorifying him. He says in verse 51, I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will not see death. He will never see death. And that right there can cause you to ask him questions like, what in the world is he talking about? In fact, the Jews ask him in verse 52, now we know that you're demon possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets. You say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father, Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think that you are? Now, I believe that when Jesus was saying this, that he was referencing. This is this passage is so thick with the Old Testament, it's just not funny. I, I believe he was referencing Genesis chapter 3 when the serpent looked at Adam and Eve and he told them, you know, oh, you know, God said this, but you will not surely die. Just touching it, that can't really hurt you, right? You 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 will not surely die. Jesus or God said, you know, if you if you even touch it, you will surely die. Well, was he talking about physical death? We know that they didn't die that day. So the serpent was right. They didn't surely die. But that wasn't what God was talking about in the garden. He was talking about a spiritual death, a separation, being cut off from God. And so when Jesus comes forward and he says, listen, if you will, if you will keep my word, if you will dwell in me, you will never taste death. You will have a connection with God. You will have that relationship with God that was that was stripped away from you in the garden. That that I came to pay for the original sin. I came to pay for the consequences of the sin. And so when the Jews they don't understand this, they're thinking physical death. Jesus is talking about a spiritual death that happens. And they said, you know, Father Abraham and all the prophets died. Do you think that you're really greater than them? Who do you think that you are? Now that, that is the million dollar question. Who did Jesus think that he was? Now people have said, well, Jesus never said he was the son of God. Jesus never said, you know, he, he didn't really think that. He was just a good teacher. He was a good man. You know, he was demon possessed. We all say these same things that they said in scripture about Jesus today. Who does Jesus think he is? Well, that's a really good question. This passage answers that. Who did Jesus think that he was? We're going to get to that. In verse 54, he says, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My glory spoils. If I go in and, and chase my own glory, that's what's going to happen. He says, My Father, who you claim is your God, he's the one that glorifies me. Now, you think about that for just a second. God is the one who glorifies Jesus. The Father glorifies the Son. I thought God was all about himself. He is. He glorifies the Son because what Jesus says a little bit later on when he says, before Abraham was, I am. We're going to get to that in just a second. So I, he says, I don't glorify myself. 
the Father glorifies me. And that is absolutely true, that the Father glorifies the Son, and that he has set him up as the heir, the inheritor of all things. And we can share in that inheritance if we trust and believe in Jesus, that, that God honored and glorified the Son, Jesus, that Jesus is at the core of everything, of creation, that Jesus is at the center. And it makes sense because the Father and the Son are one. That God is about his own glory. He says, uh, you say that you know him, verse 55, though you do not know him, I know him. If I said that I did not, I would be a liar like you. Now that is pretty offensive. Call, are you calling me a liar? Yep, I'm calling you a liar. You say that you know God, you say that you believe in him, but look how you act. Look what you do. Look how you behave. Look how you treat people. Look how you treat the Son of God. Look how you treat God himself. You say that you know God, but there is no way, judging by your actions, that you know God. You're a liar. And if I said I didn't know him, I'd be a liar too. But I do know him because I keep his word. I obey him. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. What? Abraham died. How did he see it? Well, this is one of two, two thoughts on this, that Abraham was looking down with the father right now, which I don't like that idea. I, I think that what he was saying is, you know, he looked forward to the promise. God gave a promise through Abraham, and he looked forward to the promise. It kind of answers that question, well, what about people in the Old Testament before Jesus? That they looked forward to the promise. We get to look back on the promise and see that promise fulfilled. That Abraham looked forward to the promise. He saw it and he was glad that God was going to deliver on that promise. And they say in verse 57, you are not yet 50 years old. You said that you've seen Abraham. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was born, I am. So this, this statement pretty much culminates the entire debate and the issues that we've seen in John chapters 7 and 8. That this is, this is where it all comes to a head. Go ahead and say it, Jesus. We know you're thinking it. Go ahead and say it. Well, here he does. Before Abraham was, I am. You may say, well, he didn't say he was God. That's exactly what he said. Now consider this. As Moses was standing on, um, on, on, the, on the mount, and God, uh, Mount Sinai, he gives him uh, the Ten Commandments, right? I'm sorry, he, he gives him the command. Gives him the command uh, from the, fir the burning bush to go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Excuse me, I'm getting two, two things com combined here. So he tells him, um, go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Moses says, well, who should I say sent me? You know, the, 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 this, is, this is important because every god had a name. Every god had a name except for... In our God. And and it's like God wouldn't even stoop to that level in, in giving himself a name. He says, I am that I am. Tell him this. I am that I am. I am. I exist. I am. I am all that matters. I am the core of everything. I, I am the creator. I am the sustainer. I am the provider. I am, I am the deliverance. I am that I am. So when Jesus spoke these words, you can't imagine what kind of fury it must have felt these, filled these people with. Because Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. 
which is exactly what John says in John chapter 1. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Christ is God. And that is incredibly offensive. Before Abraham was, I am they even tried to pick up stones to stone him. And I love this. Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. You can't touch me. No, can't touch this. Jesus, Jesus is fully in control of the situation. That there is a purpose in which he came, and it didn't be stoned to death. That's not what prophecy said. Prophecy said that he would die on a tree and that he would raise from the dead. Now, from this entire passage of Scripture, I want us to see and go back to that idea of a glory hound that Jesus wasn't trying to seek his own glory. <laughs> because what kind of example would that set? Understand we are most happy when our lives are wrapped up in him. Then when we are consumed by the nature of Christ, who he is and what he is about, that is what's going to bring us true happiness. You as an American have the, the right of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But nobody ever tells you how to pursue happiness except for Jesus. Jesus was full of joy. He was consumed with happiness because he brought glory to the Father. Now, I used to have this image of God as being this angry God or like this God that's ready for me to slip up. Until I heard a quote, and I can't even remember who said it, but I've just come to agree with that more than than anything else, and that is that God is the happiest being in the universe. <laughs> he is the happiest being in the universe. When you consider that, you understand why, that he is bringing himself glory and that we are most happy and the world is created for the purpose of bringing him glory. So when we bring God glory, we are at our happiest. And that's not a glory that spoils because it's a glory that belongs to him. And when we bring God glory, I'm telling you, if you've ever experienced bringing God glory and you know that you have, you can't wait to bring Him more. And it's not that it spoils, it's just that we are so happy when that happens that I can't wait to get up and do it again. I'll never forget the first time I preached. It's a terrible message. I'm not sure it was much better than this one, but it was a terrible message. I remember walking down out of that and just thinking, I failed miserably. But you know what? I brought God glory, and I cannot wait to get up and do it again. And my life is not all about me and all the things that I want, the things that I'm consumed by. I want my life to be all about Him. And I want to ask you another question, though. Jesus said this. He says, he says you say that you know God, but do you want to kill me? I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Two, two parts of that. I want to say, you know, how are you treating other people of God. Um, you know, I was talking with a pastor friend of mine this week, and he, he's talking about a funeral. And, and this is just a reality. Is you can always tell the difference between a, a funeral between, for saved people and a funeral for, for the unsaved. And it's like, and what it is is that people tend to think that they can treat pastors like they're trash and they're garbage. Like because they're hurting, I'm going to come up and just treat you like a piece of crap. And you walk away from that, and you just think, man. I don't want to be around people like that. Nobody does. So be careful. It's a clear indicator that you don't know God and how you treat you treat the saints. But, I mean, how do we treat each other? 
How do we treat each other? How do we treat another believer? Are we always looking to destroy someone? Because that's a clear indicator that you don't know God. Jesus said, this is how you people will know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. The other part of that I just want to ask is, 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 is how loved do you feel in the body of Christ? And I struggle with this. I'm going to tell you that. I struggle with this, just knowing that I'm loved. But that love and that fulfillment comes from the Father first. And that, that unless you have that love of the Father, you will never feel fulfilled. But also, it's important that we, that we show love to one another. And understand that, that that people are coming in and, and like, you know, people have their, they're already in knots about the church. Like they come in and they're like, the church is a bunch of bunch of hypocrites and they just judge people. And, and it's true. I mean, we need to do a better job in loving one another. If that's the only message that we heard, that would challenge us for the rest of our lives. Love one another, love one another, love one another. That we are so unable to do that without Christ. But we need to be wrapped up in him. And when we're wrapped up in him, we will love others that that is the truth that is the secret when we're glorifying god that we bring we, we bring happiness not only to ourselves but we bring happiness to other people i want to close with a passage of scripture here because this is this is so important uh, and this really touches on what what jesus was or john wrote about jesus what jesus said and and john includes this in his in his uh, first letter at the end of, of the bible he says he says, this is the message that we've heard from him. This is 1 John chapter 1, verses 2, uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through chapter 2, 5, 6, sorry. So what it says. It says, this is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness, none at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and we do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his, his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the entire world. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But anyone who obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. The Apostle John says, we do not seek glory for ourselves. That's not what Jesus did. And if we are in God, if we are in Christ, we must do what Jesus did. And that's bring glory to the Father. Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.